Isaiah chapter 46. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday, so we're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a minute. I probably have a, one of the longest introductions. <laughs> I think the sermon is shorter than the introduction today, so bear with me. But we're going to get started with this verse, and hopefully you'll be able to trace your pastor's crazy thinking and end up at the same place when we get to the end today. Let's start Isaiah chapter 46 in verse 4. The word of God says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I think we could just go home after that. <laughs> Isn't that good? Even to your old age, the Lord is with you. He'll sustain you. He will carry you. He'll sustain you. He will rescue you. If you need some encouragement this week, put that verse up on your fridge or on your counter and let those words just keep ringing through, okay? I want to focus a little bit on this um, idea of the elderly today. We're going to talk a little bit about ministering to the elderly, but you're going to have to kind of bear with me because it's going to take us a while uh, to get there. The first thing I want to remind you of today, again, uh, it, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. So look at this. This is really interesting to me. On January the 22nd, what is today? 22nd, 1973, the right to illegal abortion became a federal constitutional right in the United States with the Supreme Court's decision of Roe versus Wade. This was exactly 50 years ago today. That's something, isn't it? 50 years. Another important date, 39 years ago today, <laughs> President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation on January the 13th, 1984. Oh, excuse me, that was the 13th. Designating January the 22nd, 1984 as National Sanctity of Human Life Day, noting that it was the 11th anniversary of Roe versus Wade in which the Supreme Court issued a ruling that guaranteed women access to abortion. Now, why are we bringing this up? Because this is that day that Ronald Reagan made a decree back in 1984. And many, many churches uh, every year, sometime in January, would have a Sanctity of Life Day. If you guys will remember, it's been a few years now, maybe about four, it was pre-COVID. Um, we did a series on In His Image. And that was transformational. There have been certain things in my life where I've run into a sermon series and it's changed who I am. One was the Lord's Prayer. When I hit that, that just I became a different person. When we did that series on In His Image, the meaning of pro-life completely changed for me. Because before that series, pro-life for me was always about abortion or being pro-life. That's all I ever thought about, that specific idea. And then after that, the Lord opened my eyes to pro-life is so much more. It is caring for the prisoner. It is caring for the homeless. It is caring for the refugee and the immigrant. It is caring in the nursing home. It's caring in the NICU. <laughs> it's caring for people in all of these phases of life. It's not just a topic of abortion, 
but the sanctity and the dignity of every human life is incredibly broad. And if we're going to not be hypocritical, if we're going to be people of our faith, we need to be concerned in all these areas and consistent in all these areas. So that was a challenge to me. Now, of course, this year is kind of an interesting Sanctity of Life Sunday, isn't it? Because this is the first year in 50 years that that ruling no longer has a hold over our country. 50 years. I want to encourage you then this. Don't stop praying. 50 years. Some people have been praying for this for 50 years. All right, and that's a powerful thing. And here's what I want you to hear me out today. This is so important. It can be very, um, in the climate that we live in, it can be a, a real desire for us to go and to point fingers and to get extremely political and say, I told you I was right and shove it in people's faces. But the people that we're trying to help, the last thing they need is a bunch of Christians shoving a sign in their face, right? The first thing that they need is people who will love and listen and interact and engage and let them know that whatever they're going through, Jesus will love them and he will guide them if they will trust him. That's a hard thing. I know there's a point where we want to be like, yeah, we should celebrate, but we have to be careful even in our celebration that we don't tear down those who are in the middle of their pain and in the hurt. We need to continue to speak healing to mothers that are hurting because of previous abortions and remind them of forgiveness and grace. We need to continue to resource pregnancy care centers who are providing medical care and encouragement to our communities. We need to be about that, the church, right? Yes, do we need to have a message that speaks truth? Absolutely, on every topic. We want to speak the truth. But we better be the people that are engaging people who are hurting, who can see love and find the forgiveness of Jesus. At the same time, hear this out a little bit this morning. We live in a society that cries out for justice. Amen? We've heard that a lot of places. We've seen it in our, all of our shows and all of our athletic events. There's justice, justice, justice everywhere. And I want to challenge us this morning. What about justice for the unborn? Do they deserve justice as well? They do. I'm not decrying other people that need justice, and we need to fight justice in every category, in every corner, but let's not forget that the unborn as well deserve justice. We, again, as a culture, we say we want to speak up for people who don't have a voice, and I would challenge us this morning, who needs a voice more than the unborn? Who will speak for them? The church needs to speak needs to cry out justice for everything, not just this little corner we're talking about, but we do need to cry out for this corner too, right? Who will speak for the unborn? What does the scripture say? Again, that's where we should go, right? What does the word of God say? Proverbs 31, 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. What a cry for justice that we should hear today, right? So I want to encourage us in those things. We are to be the voice for those who do not have one. And in love and grace, let us continue to stand for the unborn. But again, as we have emphasized for years now, being pro-life is so much more than speaking out about abortion. 
hear me again, I've already said this a little bit, but I wanted to sink in this morning. To be pro-life is to work for the immigrants and the refugee. To be pro-life is to care for the prisoner and the homeless. To be pro-life is to come to the aid of the poor and those affected by racism. To be pro-life is to aid those with special needs. And where I want to focus today, to be pro-life is to care for the elderly, especially those facing end-of-life questions. Um, The reason this is on my heart today is because we lost a couple incredibly precious people this last year, didn't we? Elderly people that we love. And you guys were amazing. (laughs) So don't hear this in any way as a criticism, but hopefully a motivation that we, as the church, need to be helping the elderly. Again, in a world that celebrates glamour and status and performance, God's heart is for those who are overlooked and deemed unworthy, seeing every human being as beautiful, invaluable, and precious. This is what it means to be pro-life. As we think about this in the context of the elderly, I want to get some questions going in your mind, and then we want to see what the Scripture can do to encourage and guide us in those questions. Uh, First question, this is a question that my parents and some of Wendy's parents have had to talk about before. Should I have my parents move in with me or place them in a nursing home? Some of you young people are like, well, why are you even talking about this? Believe it or not, it's going to get there a lot quicker than you think. You're going to be having these types of questions, right? What should I do in that situation? That's a tough question, isn't it, right? With so much technological, technological innovation creating an extension in life, How do we navigate when it's time to not accept certain treatments? When do you sign the do not resuscitate? My poor cousin Michael is in a very bad way in Seattle. And finally this week, his daughter, who's probably in her 20s, Lord help her that being in that young, got to make a decision. She said that, okay, we're finally at this point. She wouldn't do it for a while. Finally, she has signed that order to say it's okay. I don't, how do you make that decision, right? With all the things that we can do and all the things we can preserve, when is it okay to say it's time? That's a hard question, isn't it? Some people have this question, don't I have a right to choose when I die? Maybe for most of us, like, oh, no, that's all the Lord's hands. When you get to be close to someone who is suffering intensely, that temptation will come to you. You'll be like, Lord, I don't understand. Can't we just take care of this? We do it for animals. (laughs) Why can't we do it for people? And yet the scripture speaks to that, doesn't it, right? Today, I I want you to think in in a very prayerful way. And again, let me get out of the way. Let the Lord speak to you. But how can you be an encouragement to the elderly in your life? Is it definitely a complex issue And I want to be so careful today and remind us that context really will determine our decision-making in these things. Context is so important, and ultimately, so much prayer needs to surround decisions that we just mentioned. I want to give you a couple quick reminders about some statistics that we saw a few years ago about the elderly, and one especially that has never left my mind. Look at this again. Approximately 85% 
of the residents of skilled care centers never have visitors. Not from family, not from clergy, not from friends, not from anyone from a church. Not from anyone at all. Who's standing up for those who don't have a voice? 85% of the people in the skilled care home, no one is checking on them, talking to them, listening to them. No one. That number just kind of, in my mind, like, that can't be true. (laughs) But we researched and studied, and it was like, that really pricks my thinking, right? Again, for the friends that we have from Masasha, we think of Miss Charlotte and we think of Brother John. Uh, you guys were incredible. Family were in there all the time in both those occasions. Friends, even friends of our church were visiting and loving, and you interacted with those in their difficult days, okay? Praise the Lord that we continue those things. But I want to be you to be mindful today. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, there are people just down the road that they're stuck in a room and nobody is ever checking on them. And maybe the Lord might have you go check on them. And they may not just be in a nursing home, by the way. A couple more stats to get you thinking today. Among the population age 65 and plus, 69% will develop disabilities before they die. And 35% will eventually enter a nursing home. 35% of the population over 65 plus eventually will go to a nursing home. There are 43 and a half million caregivers providing care for someone over 50. Do you think there's an opportunity to minister to caregivers? 43 and a half million people are caring for an older person. And they need encouragement as well. Again, I just learned so much this last year as we looked at how you guys cared for people. And then also, especially in Miss Charlotte's case, um, I learned what it was to die gracefully. I have never seen that up and close in person like I did in her. You talk about someone who couldn't speak at all, but who could smile. (laughs) And someone whose faith was still being shared even as her body was just falling down. She was an incredible woman. There's so much to learn from the elderly if we will engage with them. So today, I want to encourage you that you're not alone when you face these situations, and I hope you'll be encouraged to minister to people who are facing these types of difficult decisions. And I want to say this this morning. This is so powerful to me. This is one of the simplest ways to help somebody. You don't have to have a singing talent. You don't have to have some fancy skill. You don't have to be really great at any kind of craft. You want to help somebody that's in this situation. You know what you do. You go in their room and you sit down and you listen. That's it. Everybody, everybody from those little boys up to the oldest of us all can do this. We can go to an older person and just say, tell me your stories and watch the Lord move and work. And again, you listen to the Lord today, not to me, but if the Lord is calling, I think there may be some people in this room that need to do more activity with older folks to encourage them, maybe simply just by listening. 
there are, again, so many ways we could go with this topic today, but I'm going to come back to one of my all-time favorite passages, and that's Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn there, you can. We know this truth. We know that we're all dying. We know that we're going to die, but the question is, and a famous quote is, are we going to really live? So let's look at Romans chapter 8, and I want to kind of put a little spin on it. Again, take the Scriptures at their their truth at the beginning, but also think about it in light of this topic that we're looking at. This is probably bigger than most of the discussions we may have this week, what we're going to talk about here, but it is very important. Is there life after death? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What you believe about these things will color your understanding about all the rest of this discussion. So let's look in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 18. Again, Paul writing to the church at Rome, a church that was facing difficult circumstances, facing suffering. Here's what he says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you have an idea of the glory? I don't think you do. What the Lord has in store. Here again, Paul says, there are present sufferings. They are not to be ignored. They are real. They can hurt intensely, but there is a glory to be revealed. What's the song we like to sing? There is coming a day, right? There is coming a day. Today, again, encourage yourself with the thought of the glory to be revealed. As bad as suffering may be, it doesn't compare to the glory. When we face our end of days, let the hope of glory be our encouragement and our strength. Glory has got to become more real to all of us. Now I want to challenge you today, think about how you're going to do that. How do you think about glory? What gets you thinking about heaven? That's where we need to get our heart and our mind. As we try to encourage our older friends and family, we need to help them understand glory so that that will help them as they go through and face their suffering. In my case with Miss Charlotte, I learned from her <laughs> more about glory by watching how she lived. Verse 28. Let's go down again. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Very famous verse for many people. The scripture says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Here's what I want to challenge you this morning. This is tough. God is at work even in suffering. Right? I learned just a little thing from the man over here this morning. When he said, I'm nervous about what may happen to me in this situation, but I know the Lord, whatever he takes me through, he'll be with me. Can you say that about your suffering? That's a lot of faith, isn't it, right? This scripture here reminds us that God uses all things for his good and for our good as it relates to his glory. If we'll trust him, he will ultimately glorify those who put their faith in him. What are you facing today? What's your suffering? Some of you guys, maybe life is really great for you. I hope it is. <laughs> but for a lot of you people in the room today, you have fears and worries and suffering and concern. And the Lord says again here, he's not leaving us alone. He will work through those things for our good and for his glory. Look down if you would in verse 31. 
So what then, what shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's another verse you could probably put on your refrigerator this week. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Even as we face our end of life or as we care for those who are facing end of life situations, if they are believers, we can be encouraged in this. If God is for us, who can be against us? For those who put their faith in the Lord, what's going to happen? Brother John, who put his trust in the Lord, one day, Rick will run through those gates and he'll get to hug his dad again, right? You'll have to listen to a whole bunch of stories. (laughs) For Kyle, for Larry, when they get to see Charlotte again that day, what's in store because of the glory to be revealed, If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? God didn't just help us out a little. What did God do for us? Again, not my thinking. What did the scripture say? What would you give the preacher? What would be the most precious thing you would give the preacher? Some of you might, well, I give you a little of my time. That's precious. Yeah. Might give me, Ray says, might give me a little fishing equipment, something to make me happy that way. How many of you would give me your children? And we're not taking them, by the way. Right? When you think about what Jesus did for us, what we deserved was death. And we deserve the death penalty. And God gave his son to take our death penalty. And then Paul says, he who gave up his son for us Well, everything else is nothing compared to that. Won't he graciously give you all things? Again, what are we talking about last few weeks? Ask and seek and knock, right? If the Lord would give up his own son for you, will he not graciously give you all things? If he gave us the biggest thing, don't you think he will graciously give us everything that we need, even in difficult situations? Ask and seek and knock. Again, I don't know your context today and what the Lord has challenged you about, but there are so many hard questions as we think about caring for the elderly. But the Lord is present and he is ever present and he asks us to come to him when we have those needs. So verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What did we start at? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Hear me out today. Not diabetes. Not Alzheimer's. Not paralysis. Not even cancer can separate us from the love of Christ. You guys aren't hearing it. You need to hear it and hear My Aunt Verna, she couldn't remember her own children, but she could still sing Jesus Loves Me. Nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, right? When we are tempted to try and control our own destiny, 
Remember, Jesus is in control, and he is the one saying, nothing will separate us. Verse 36, as it is written, hear the word of the Lord, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul said they face death all day long, and some of our loved ones have and will face death all day long. Again, to see Charlotte in her struggle was amazing. Her love for her Savior never waned because she knew that God would not leave her alone. Don't lose hope. Even in the midst of suffering, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. And we need to be reminded that Jesus has defeated death and we are conquerors and more than conquerors in the middle of the suffering. This week, maybe there's someone in your life that is facing the suffering. Someone that you know that's facing the hurting. But if they're a believer, these are the kind of words that you can speak to them again. Hey, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Will this be our testimony when we face suffering? Finally, verse 38. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was the first thing in this last paragraph that cannot separate us? Death, right? I am convinced neither death nor life. Even death does not separate you from the love of Christ. Angels, demons, present concern, future worry, any power, any height, any depth, anything else in all creation, there is nothing can separate you from the love of God. All right, so here's what I want to get this morning. I want to get really practical, okay? Because I'm afraid it is easy, especially for us as we get busy, it is easy for us to neglect those who are suffering and hurting, especially the elderly. We all got things to do, right? We got a grocery store to go to. We got our schedule. We got to go help homeless today. We got ball games. We have, you know, bills to pay and work to do. And this is, it gets fast. But I want to challenge you today to not miss an opportunity to encourage someone who may be facing some of these decisions. Some really practical things I want you to think about today. First thing, how can you include the elderly in your events, and in your schedule, right? Where is there an opportunity for you to love on someone that may be facing some of these things? And I dare say, even in this moment, there are people in this building that you meet with on every Sunday that you can take another five minutes or 10 minutes to hear their story, amen? I know you're in a hurry. I know you got to get to dinner. I know you got to get to the next meeting, but we need to love on our elderly folks. We need to be respectful of them, and we need to show the love of Jesus to them even here. But I want you to think beyond that context and think about where you're at in your week. Some of you young people, you might not hardly ever run into elder people, right? So it's going to be a little more work for you, but I want you to think about that. Do you know what many elder people love the most? They love kids. <laughs> they love babies. They love young people. How can you help connect younger folks with older folks? In my home church, we were talking about this yesterday at our Sunday school lesson that Wendy made us think about all of my old Sunday school teachers. 
But one of the favorite things that the older folks loved was when the younger folks would come and do things together with them. How can you facilitate that opportunity for some people? When Kyle brought that little beady baby and Charlotte got to hold that baby, what joy and what encouragement, right? Maybe you can be a facilitator of something like that. You be in prayer. Lord, how can I help connect some older folks with some younger folks? Here's another one for you today. Learn the life stories of your older friends. Take them out to dinner. Take them out to breakfast. Get up early. Young people hate to get up early. <laughs> Sometimes our older folks don't mind. They like getting up early, right? Take your friends out to breakfast. Take them out to dinner. Mow their lawn. Find some way to connect and then love and listen. I promise you this guy, his name was Joe, that I worked for in Bible college. I think he was close to 80-something years old. He would get Bible college students to come out and work at his house, and I don't think he cared a lick about the work that they were doing. He just wanted to talk to them, right? How can you find an opportunity to go and spend some time with someone who is in their older stages of life to hear their stories, to encourage them, and to love them? So final verse I want to share with you today and I've never read this verse this way. I know I've probably read it 20 times, but it really stood out to me when I read it for this. It says, Leviticus 19.32, rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. We live in a throwaway society. And man, good night. Once you're over 40, we'd like to just discount you, wouldn't we, right? You're not that valuable anymore. You're not that special anymore. What did the Lord say how to treat the elderly? He said, rise in their presence, show respect for them, and by doing so, what are you doing? You are revering the Lord your God. He is the Lord. It's not about just you loving an older person. It's about you honoring God by respecting the elderly. And I would challenge parents and grandparents to push this in our kids. In a society that says only young is valuable, we need to flip it and say, no, to God, we need to honor the elderly. And again, I'd have you think about it today. How in my life can I be honoring and respecting the elderly people the Lord has put in my life? On this 50-year reminder of the sanctity of life, I pray that you will never quit asking. And I hope that you will ask God to help you be pro-life in all of your living. And on this day, I hope you will see the beauty in the elderly and love them as God loves them and respect them as God respects them and honor them as God honors them. And then we have this phrase that just rings again in my brain over and over and over again. Look to see Christ. Look to see Jesus in everyone you meet. It may be a little child, and it may be a 95-year-old man. Look to see Jesus in them. Let's stand this morning. Today's message is more a call to action than it is a call to come to the altar. I want you, I know that you're sitting there, and just take a moment with me and think about who are the elderly people in your life. Right? It may be family. Some of you it may be family that you can still have influence and impact on. For some of you, it may be some neighbors that you have nearby, right? 
Some of you, it may even be some coworkers who are going through some really hard suffering as they are, have not been able to retire and they're still working to take care of their, their bills and their life. Think about it even this morning. Ask the Lord to bring to your mind who it is that you can actually show respect and love to that you might hear their stories and know their person and then help them to grow closer to God even in their suffering. So today, as we finish our prayer today, I want you to be in prayer that the Lord would open your eyes to the actions you need to take this week, maybe this day, that you could honor the elderly just like the Lord put on our hearts that we should do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. You ask him to guide your thoughts, your thinking, and your obedience this week. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you today for all of the people you have placed in our life who have passed their faith down to us. Lord, their faith was amazing to us, and it encouraged us, and it helped us to hold fast and to stay true. And so, Lord, we want to praise you for them and for their willingness to be obedient in all of the suffering that they face. Lord, I want to thank you today for our church family. Thank you for the McLeans who showed us what it was to love their papa and their father in the midst of intense suffering. Lord, help us to mimic that in our lives. Lord, we want to say thank you today for uh, Charlotte and for her great faith testimony. And Lord, we thank you today for so many in our church family who showed love to them and taught us what it was to love people in a difficult situation. Lord, for Kyle, who even in his hurt, losing his mother, showed us what it was to draw close to you in the middle of those hard times. Lord, bless all of those people today for their obedience and for the lessons that they've taught us. Then, Lord, make us and build us up that we can be faithful people that others can learn from the way that we face these things. Lord, today, everybody in this room knows someone who is elderly. And, Lord, I pray that you will put people on our heart and our mind even this week, that you will give us boldness to go and to make a phone call, to go with someone out to breakfast or to lunch, or maybe to paint a fence or to mow some grass later this year, or to, to shovel a driveway even today, Lord. We just pray that you would instill in us a desire to love those who need love and need hope. And Lord, if there's somebody in here today that you're speaking to their heart to go into a skilled care center, to a nursing home, and to randomly love people who are alone, Lord, pray, I pray you will not let that desire part from them. And Lord, that they will be obedient and they will go and serve you in those in that very fashion. Lord, again, teach us and help us to teach our young people to respect the elderly and especially, Lord, in the light of revering you. Lord, we want you to be reverenced. And part of that is honoring those who have lived well in front of us. So give us grace to do that. Lord, go before us as we go out of this place today. Please guide us on our homeless ministry. And Lord, pray that you again would be forever praised. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these beautiful people gathered here. Lord, help us to see you in every person we meet. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.